Welcome to Haber Bros, a podcast for historic cross-centered Christians. We seek to provide ancient answers to a culture that's forgotten the questions. Thank you for listening to us this week. If you like what you're hearing or enjoy the show, please share it with a friend. This is the biggest way that podcasts grow. Say positive things about us on social media. Retweet and share on Facebook. If you haven't yet given us a five-star review, Pause your recording and give us a five-star rating and review. Follow us on Twitter at at ClergyLay and join our Facebook discussion group. And when you post glowing things uh, about us, uh, make sure you tag us, <clears throat> Tim. Uh, we are back. <laughs> uh, we are not. That is from last week. No, I'm Kirk, I'm Kirk Haberman, a church musician. And this is my brother, Chris, a priest. And as you can tell, as I fumble and muddle my way through this scripted intro, um, I am still ramping up after several weeks of vacation, which is something I get to do as an educator in the summers. Chris, how are you? Kirk, I'm great. It is good to be home. As, as wonderful as our vacation was, and it was wonderful, uh, going many places, um, just and, and the kids just marveled at what a great trip it was. Mm. Uh, all of the different things we got to do. Uh, there, there is something about sleeping in your own bed and the <laughs> comforts of home. So it's, 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 it was a great trip. It's good to be back. Yes. Three cheers for one's own bed. Um, I too slept last night in my own bed for the first time in weeks. Um, even our father. Why did you not sleep in your own? Oh, that's right. You just got back. Yeah, we did. I, I was like. I, I messed up the number of nights you've been back. Yes, last night. He, even our, our father, who, uh, who has a fan, fancy sleep number bed, um, was showing it off to <laughs> me and to my children. And I was like, yeah. even as he was doing it, I was like, yeah, this is kind of fun and gimmicky, but kind of miss my, my bed. Speaking, speaking of which, do you remember the story of our bed? Uh, do you know where we got this, this current mattress from? uh think where, why would i like this story original mattress factory no no no, no you got it from aldi aldi it's an aldi mattress that's right. That's right. which is like a total it was a total casper knockoff right right like we walked we, like we, we rolled the mattress out it was essentially the size of a looking around for like a medium-sized dry good um it was essentially the size of our dog <laughs> <laughs> when we walked out of the store and it, like a casper mattress you 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 break the seal, you open it up, and it takes about 10 minutes, and it slowly, it says, like, do not open this in a small room, because, <laughs> like, if you, like, open it in your car, it'll, like, expand, and then it's, like, stuck in your car, <laughs> like, a mat mattress will just kind of fill the space in your car, um, yeah. That sounds so. like, like, a fun prank, like, <laughs> yeah. like, get a mattress stuck in your friend's car, it's like, uh, I can't get my That would actually be a great prank. Yeah, if, if you're willing to sacrifice several hundred dollars. And a friend. <laughs> uh, yeah, Isaac is really into watching YouTube videos and YouTubers throw money around like it's going out of style. Uh, like there's just extravagant waste in the things they do. So I could see them doing something like that. That's funny, yeah. yeah. So, uh, it, so it was both doubly satisfying because it was my bed, <laughs> my mattress. Um, next to, um, we, our dog did not go on vacation. So um, actually, she she sleeps with the children, so that wasn't accurate. But she's uh, lying luxuriantly, napping right now. I'm looking at her. I'm watching her. She's having a little doggy dream. Her uh, she's twitching. Um, and you completed the the great circuit, the the Pittsburgh to Orlando to St. Louis to Minneapolis to the Canadian border, uh, and back to Pittsburgh. Uh, many many miles. Yeah. So uncle, uh, one of our uncles. Was, was fascinated like he's like what's what's the exact number and so he pulled out 
his iPhone, the calculator app on his iPhone as, as I was talking. And he thinks we did about 3,700 miles. It's so a lot of driving. that's decent. It's decent. Yeah. So you're, you're settled back in. We're settled back in. Um, we've got real life slapping us across the face coming up. I've got meeting, a meeting tomorrow night. I've got a meeting on Saturday. I've got a baseball tournament, son's baseball tournament on Saturday and Sunday. I'm a church musician. So I'm going to be kind of ramping up and planning um, for the, for the fall and winter sooner than I think. So, but it was good, Christopher. Yeah. uh, I, I know somebody who lives in New York state and they, their school goes until like June 20th or something. And I, I got one of those flyers from Costco that had a back to school page on mm. it right around June 20th. And so I asked this person, like, what, what is it like to receive ads for back to school stuff while your kids are still in school? Uh, and I'm sure you don't go quite till June 20th, but you go into June. And so, uh, yeah, it's, it's crazy how summer starts and it goes quickly. And then before you know it, you're, you're already kind of, if you're not back, you're, you're at least mentally back by the second week of August, probably. Like Robert Frost said, 4th of July, summer shot in the rear. Yeah, that's, <laughs> I hate that. That's such a, that's such a glass half empty. Right. Right. Yeah. However, however, what you're pointing out is, um, uh, fall looms on the horizon as, um, ambitious stores, with those obnoxious back to school flyers in. Oh yeah, and and but that's every season. I mean, Costco is the is my favorite store, but it also is also the worst selling at, Christmas like, trees and yeah, September. Christmas trees in like August, September, and <laughs> I mean, th- you are months separated from a holiday, and they've got stuff up there. Yeah, you know who would you know who probably hates that stuff? God. <laughs> Or should I have said Jesus? Because then you could transition to our, our gospel reading. He, uh, right, he, he cleansed the temple. I mean, this, this reading is not about cleansing the temple. No, I would say our father, um, mm. uh, our father, Craig, who like we heard like muttering about um, how everything's modernizing and, and, and the wealthy are moving into different places and so forth. And the commercialization. He, um, he reminded me of, uh, of uh, Charlie Brown and a Charlie Brown Christmas. Um, just bemoaning the commercialization of Christmas and like how quaint it was that in 1960, whatever <laughs> um, you could, you could, you know, knock on a, on a, a fake tree and bemoan the commercialization of Christmas, right? Like that was the extent of the commercialization of Christmas. And, and now we've got, you know, Costco selling Christmas trees in, in August or September or whatever. Yeah. Um, I mean, well, and there's a, it's, it's been commodified. There's a, christmas commodity for everything you know christmas specials on tv there's i mean everything you know that people make money on christmas as a commodity rather than celebrating the incarnation like the god um, Mm -hmm. took on flesh for our sake yeah and it's interesting right so these same company companies commodify school which increasingly i gather involves fewer and fewer commodities um right you just need what you know your ipad or your chromebook or whatever um, but do you remember you and I, we would get do you remember trapper keepers and the crayons and the pencils and the notebooks and the whatever. And now, um, you know, school districts might as well charge people to take nothing for their journey to school except uh, staff, no bread, no bed. Oh, no, wait, that's wrong. That's our gospel reading for today. Mm. Today's gospel comes from Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. And he called the twelve and began to send them out two by two and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not put on two tunics. And he said to them, whenever you enter a house, stay there until you depart from there. 
And if any place will not receive you, and they will not listen to you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet as a testimony against them. So they went out and proclaimed that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So today's lesson, it's pretty simple. And yet with everything that Jesus did in the Gospels, every detail has at least some significance. So first, let's let's recap what happened. Uh, Jesus calls the 12 together. He sends them out two by two. He gives them authority over unclean spirits. Uh, he asks them not to take provisions, but to rely on the hospitality of those they are going to. And if they're not shown hospitality, uh, shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. And then they go out and, and they follow Jesus' instructions. They go out proclaiming that people should repent. And they cast out demons and anointed with oil many who were sick and healed them. So first, they go out two by two. Uh, significance here could be that, that Jewish law required two witnesses to establish uh, the, the veracity of a truth. Um, two witnesses would have to come forward. And uh, it could be that. It, it could also be just purely companionship and support right uh, you know how how any any difficult thing requires moral support and i remember uh one of the things like that i have a love-hate relationship with every year is uh with our outdoor uh, easter sunrise service uh it's this big outreach event like we want people to hear the good news um people who haven't heard it people who are separated from the church uh, for, for months or, or many years, we want them to be welcomed by a community of believers and to, uh, to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ for us. Uh, and so, uh, it's one of the few times that we, that it is not weird to go knocking on doors and invite people to church. And in fact, people, even if they ha have other plans, they're like, Oh, that's really nice. Like it's at this beautiful park in the middle of town. And, and most people <laughs> respond really positively to the invitation. And like, if we just did that on any random day, we wouldn't necessarily get that. But I have a love-hate relationship with going door to door mm. because um, like, I kind of dread it because it's like, ah, sure. do I have to, should I really do this thing? Like it's, it's, it's inconvenient. It's, it's kind of awkward. I, I don't know. There, I, would have, a lot of I would have um, uh, bad flashbacks to mm. cold calling for fundraisers oh. in, uh, in school. <laughs> <laughs> but then I got to be honest, when I'm doing it, I love it because I love people. Um, and I especially love lost people and um, just the, the, the hospitality of inviting them to a church service. Uh, and, um, you know, I've, I've got this little invitation card with, with the information on it. And even people who aren't interested, they're, they're polite enough if you hold it out long enough to take it from you. <laughs> mm, right. Because my hope is that that's going to be like a grain of sand in their shoe that like they'll yeah. have to put it somewhere in their house and it'll work on them and, and, and that God can use it. And, you know, we, we smother the whole thing with prayer. We pray before we pray during we pray after. Um, but like during like you can just see God moving and it's super powerful. Um, and uh, the nights that we've gone out two by two, it's been really encouraging. Uh, I remember one night going out one on uh, just on my own. Uh, and I, this was the first year we did it. And I learned very quickly. I went to like eight houses and one person was home and I just like gave up and went home because like <laughs> there, I was just on my own. Had there been someone with me kind of chatting between doors, uh, it would have been encouraging for me. And I think that that's, that's a, a lesson that, that we can use here. Even as I acknowledge <laughs> that, um, Jesus instructions here are not universal. These are purely for these 12 that he sent out two by two. I can't emphasize that enough. Like we are not to take this as instructions. Like, okay, Kirk, when you go out, take no bread, <laughs> no bag, no money. Um, these are not universal instructions, but instructions uh, at, for one time in one place. So uh, let's see, where, where was I? So we covered the sending out two by two. Okay, the, um, he, and they're given authority over demons. So uh, we see that they did three things. They, they proclaimed that people should repent. They cast out demons and they healed and anointed with oil. And, and the oil is associated with healing. Uh, but the, at the beginning of the passage, we see one thing emphasized, and that is authority over unclean spirits. So we see uh, this uh, as not just going out with this healing balm of like healing the soul 
uh, through um, casting out these evil spirits. It, it is that, this healing of the soul, but it's also like indicating this inbreaking of the kingdom, that, that Christ has come and that Satan is not the ruler of this world, that, they, the, that this, is, this is a witnessing of the incoming, of the inbreaking of the kingdom. And, and these uh, 12 are sent out as heralds, reminding people, as, as they witness the casting out of demons, all these things happening, these healings, uh, they, will, they will remember these ancient prophecies of the sick being healed as the kingdom came. Uh, you know, these prophecies from Joel and all these great old prophets, that history is, is rushing towards its climax. So that's the, the first little part, being sent out two by two in authority over unclean spirits. Number two, they're, they're told to take no provisions. So only... Three things, sandals, staff, and tunic. Not two tunics, just one. And uh, so this, this uh, significantly uh, is what uh, the Israelites were charged to do um, during the Exodus. Um, and so you can look up in the book of Exodus 12, 11, they're given this instruction of sandals, staff, and tunic and, and to be prepared and be ready. And so what this indicates in, in the text here is that the 12 here, they are the reconstituted people of Israel. Uh, and, and so that's the significance of, of uh, th this, this kind of new nation that, that Jesus is, is uh, that we are being baptized into. Okay. Uh, let me see. It also, uh, it, it presumes this, this radical faith of, of that the Lord will provide, that, that when you're doing the Lord's work, that, that God will, will provide for you. And this is definitely a, a hard thing for us to imagine because we do so much to prepare. Uh, no missionary, well, I shouldn't say no missionary, almost no missionary agency will send out a missionary who isn't fully funded. You know, you raise the money before you go and then you, you, you know you can stay in the field and, and you might come back for a respite or come back to reconnect with donors. But uh, we, we do so much to prepare for mission, for churches. Uh, we prepare... Uh, you know, in lie if, for life, like we, we have savings. Um, and it, it certainly is reckless to not have, I mean, we think about uh, Joseph in Egypt, uh, not the father of Jesus, but uh, the first Joseph in Egypt, right? Um, it, who for seven years stored up um, during the bountiful years um, so that they would have stored up grain for the seven years of famine. And so uh, <laughs> it is wise, <laughs> It is wise to prepare and to store up in years of bounty and to prepare uh, to, to save for your retirement. Friends, uh, Jesus is not saying don't save for your retirement. Mm. Uh, but also, uh, I know people who self-identify as preppers. Uh, and I read an article recently about someone who is not only a prepper himself, but made a vast sum of money. And this guy, I don't know if he was a Christian, but he spoke like he was a Christian. Um. Uh, like the language he used and he, he appealed to Christians, interestingly, and he was uh, trying to prepare this place in Michigan. Uh, and, and part of the deal was like, he built this airport where he could fly you in. Um, and no matter what the apocalypse was on the outside, whether it was zombies or terrorism or bioterrorism or a, a global pandemic that, that if you bought in, if you gave him your money, uh, he would have this pl this place prepared for, for you where you could uh, live out days while the outside world would be in chaos. Uh, and so people have have grifted their way into prepping. Uh, I, you know, it, it's funny. Costco uh, sold this this uh, like five thousand dollar pallet that was food that would be good for like ten years. That people are like, oh, that's so silly. And then the pandemic came in, and then suddenly <laughs> it was like everyone was buying those things until they're sold out. Um, and remembering that these are these commands are specific to these disciples at this time, but here's my big butt, Kirk. Oh. Um, we we have much to learn from these disciples, who who are taught to rely um, purely on God's provision. Uh, we in in a society that that takes pride in in planning for the future, in um, being prepared, in um, kind of ensuring ourselves. We've mentioned this a number of times recently. We have a lot to learn about this. So I, I think that this ought to convict us um, not to empty out our 401ks, but to think more in our daily life about how we ought to trust and rely in the Lord. Third, um, no hospitality? 
shake the dust from your feet. Um, they're given instructions to stay in the first house, not the nicest. So any house that lets you in, stay there until you leave that place. So, so uh, you are accepting that hospitality. Um, and uh, shaking the dust off your feet would be a significant thing because the first act of hospitality when you're welcomed into a house at this time would be to wash the feet of your guests. Uh, you know, they're wearing sandals uh, on dusty roads. Um, so when you arrive somewhere, you would have the, your feet washed. And if you're not welcomed in, <laughs> You would very significantly and dramatically shake the dust off your feet as, as, a, as a testimony uh, of, of this failure of hospitality. But don't dwell on it. You know, don't like rain down curses upon this house. Uh, move on. Move on to somebody who will accept or who will offer hospitality. Number four, uh, proclaim that people should repent. So it's interesting that, that, you know, we talk about being sent out with the gospel and it doesn't say being sent out with the gospel here, uh, but what would the gospel have been at this point of Jesus' work? You know, Jesus had yet to die, right? As a sacrifice for sins. He had yet to be raised for our justification. He had yet to ascend to the Father. Um, so this was more about the breaking into the kingdom of being heralds, being sent out, asking people to prepare. And Kirk, let me ask you a question that certainly you'll get right. Oh. What season of the church year does this bring to mind? Uh, is it not ordinary time? Uh, a season of preparation for oh, Advent. the coming of the king. Advent, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we have an entire season dedicated to this um, where they're, they're out there telling people to repent. And so th this isn't just like feeling sorry for your sins. This is, is um, calling people to, to um, be ready to, uh, to meet their savior, right? And, and to... Uh, realign their entire lives. So, number five, casting out demons, anointing with oil, many who are sick, and healing them. So this this is you know the the very visible work of of this inbreaking kingdom is the casting out of demons and the healing of the sick and the anointing with oil. Uh, Kirk, we say that sacraments, of which we as Anglicans say there are two, baptism and Holy Communion, that they are outward and physical signs of inward and spiritual grace. Uh, when we anoint someone with oil and we do that, um, it's not a sacrament. We call it a sacramental to be, uh, right. you, you know, uh, but, um, it is an outward, even yes. as not a sacrament, it is an outward sign of, of like the prayer that's happening just as, um, this isn't a sacramental, but, um, the use of, of, uh, oh my. Uh, what's what's the word I'm looking for? The use uh, what in a thurible? What do you put in a thurible? Incense. The use of incense. Thank you, Kurt. <laughs> in worship, is 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 symbolic of our prayers ascending, um, as as fragrant offerings to the Lord, right? Yeah. And um, so just as as those represent offerings, it doesn't make our prayers more efficacious. Um, uh, the, the the anointing with oil is is an outward physical sign, a reminder of what is happening in prayer. And so um, the Catholic sacrament of extreme unction used to be reserved for the dying, um, but, but now can be for anybody who's, um, I believe post-Vatican II, even for Catholics, and certainly for Protestants, the anointing um, is, is for the sick. Um, and, uh, and, and we do this as a reminder of, of, of God's working. So I, I've uh, kind of uh, talked for a bit, Kirk. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to hand it to you. Uh, what do you see here in this passage? And, and do you have any reactions to... Kind of what I've laid oh, out as these five oh, parts. Oh, Christopher, I have questions. Mm. Questions. Stump the chump. <laughs> All right. In Mark 6, we have this, um, what we just read of Jesus sending out the 12. Uh, in the other synoptic gospels, for example, in Luke 10, we have Jesus mm. sending out the 72. 72. Yeah. <gasps> Are these two <laughs> different sendings or the same sending? And uh, how, can, how can we trust uh, the gospel is mm. if we mm. get these different numbers, 12 and 72? Yeah. Um, I, you know, a, a scholar would be better uh, equipped to do this. And in fact, like <laughs> not one hour ago, uh, I was reading um, a commentary that was addressing this. And I kind of closed it because I was like, ah, like I. <laughs> Your faith is not shaken by this. So you're moving right, on. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I would guess these are these are different. Certainly, um, the 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 twelve and the seventy two um, are different because they're different groups. 
the, 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 the there were kind of like uh, different because the instructions are almost had. identical. They're more expanded right, right, in Luke's right. account because Luke just says right. a lot more than Mark does. Right. Yep. Yeah. So why did Luke have uh, ten rather than twelve? Um, that that I cannot answer. Uh, but but it, Jesus did seem to have different uh, circles of of sort of disciples. Um, so when it says disciples, that's not necessarily um, referring always to the twelve. And I've talked about this before in 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 John chapter six. Um, where it says that many of his disciples no longer followed him. Uh, you know, we see that there were many people following him. Uh, and, and as he taught about himself being the bread of life, uh, that was too hard of a saying for, for many of the people who followed him. And he was like whittling down his disciples. Uh, and <laughs> right. finally, Peter, you know, he, the, the Jesus says, shrinkage movement. Yes. Uh, Jesus says to Peter, uh, Hey, do you want to leave too? Because everyone else is leaving. And Peter says, where else are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Um, so whatever it is that you say, at least on this day, uh, Peter's like, whatever you have to say, I'm with you till the end. Until you say that you must die. <laughs> he didn't say that. But later he would have a problem right, with that. Right. Uh, and Jesus would have to rebuke him. Uh, so, um, but, but the 72... And the 12, and then the three, Peter, James, and John, seem to be different right. uh, circles uh, of influence. And Jesus had many people. We see this more clearly in Luke, that Jesus had many people following him, that there are women that followed him. Yeah. Uh, were, were you know what this up. reminds me of? Yeah. Uh, have I ever talked? Stop me if I've talked to you about this before. So uh, Rayfon Williams' um, Fantasia on a Theme by Thomas Tallis is written for a string, these three, th three groups on stage, and mm. they're not even concentric circles. There's mm. three, uh, a small circle. Uh, you've yeah. got a string quartet. Then you've got a chamber, chamber orchestra, like a, like a small chamber ensemble. And then the full string orchestra, there's no winds or brass or percussion in it. And so there's um, this lovely um, sense of, you have the core, the string mm -hmm. quartet for the most intimate moments. Then you have the moderate sized group and then you have the large group for these, um, when, when, it times to, when, when it comes time to kind of have these large climactic exclamatory moments. Um, so I, I know there's, there's not, we could probably contort ourselves to draw some larger sure. theological, um, uh, ring some theological meaning from that. But it's just, it, may, it reminds me that you have, um, you do have this inner core and then the 12, and then the 72. And then we see St. Paul talks about how many witnesses does he say were there were to the resurrection? Is it 500 or 400? I should know that I don't number. remember how many hundred. You, yeah, but you, you're talking you know about 1 Corinthians 15. Yes. Yeah. 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 So, the, so there are clearly rings within rings. And then mm -hmm. certainly as, as the church grew. So, okay. I find, I find, yeah. your, I find your answer satisfactory. Clergy and, and, uh, and so it wouldn't surprise me if he did this multiple times because this was jesus way is is um you know one writer describes it as discipleship by immersion um where, where like jesus spent a lot of time with these 12 and then uh he wanted he sent them out not just like hey well you got you got your degree you got your jesus degree you know go out like he sent them out and then they returned and and like reflected on like what they had seen um and jesus was able to teach them more um you know, it's, it's kind of this action reflection sort of thing. Uh, it reminds me of, of my time as a clinical pastoral education, we call it CPE student, where um, it's, it's uh, that model where you are sent into the field with zero training as a hospital chaplain. Um, and the, the idea is that you come back to the classroom once a week for four hours and reflect on that and learn more. And then you're sent back. And then you, every week you come back right. and, and, and kind of build on what you've learned. But like, it's not, it's quite the opposite of, of the old say teaching model where you'd, um, you'd be in, in college for three and a half years. And then the last semester you would student teach and then you'd get into the classroom, but even student teaching, you, you gather like once a week or once a month to kind of reflect on the experience. And, and so Jesus did yeah. this, but that, but that, out, is, that is a pretty good analog to immersion because whatever theory you've been given in a classroom, mm -hmm. 
um, immediately is dashed against the rocks about <laughs> four minutes and 22 seconds into student teaching. Learn by realize, doing. You, yeah. When you realize you are a minnow surrounded by salivating sharks <laughs> and you've got about four months to figure out how to survive or three months or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. No, I like, I like, I like that model. Yeah. Satisfactory answer, sir. Okay. So I have this. So that was my, that was my question. Now I have an yeah. observation. Um, I think you're probably right that um, this is this is written for us to understand how Jesus' ministry works, and yet not necessarily um, a model for how our ministry works. Um, and and I say that because this was tried um, quite literally in the Middle Ages, um, and this was um, a, a, a doctrine called the absolute poverty of Christ. Um, and it was originally a teaching, teaching associated with the Franciscan order. Um, so St. Francis of Assisi uh, was taken in by this notion of apostolic poverty, that Christ and the apostles had no property, um, whether individually or shared. And this was one of the proof texts um, uh, upon which that doctrine was based, right? Um, take nothing for the journey, right? Like not even a walking stick, <laughs> right? I mean, there there was no other mode of transportation, right? So like, surely you need a walking stick, right? Not no, even. No, you're uh, here. You're allowed to take a staff. Oh, okay. All right. Um, uh, let me make sure I'm on the right passage in case I've accidentally drift, drifted over to Luke. Accept uh, <laughs> a staff. Oh, interesting. Okay, I won't ask you about why uh, Luke forbade a staff. Luke's account forbade a staff. Uh, but no <laughs> bread. No bag, right? No bag, no sack. Christopher, our image of kind of itinerant people, right? Like the like the hobo in the Great Depression who hitches a ride on, on a train, just kind of lazily rattling down the it's tracks. Bandana on had, a stick, right? Yes, he always had a bag, right? And and no money in your belts, right? So so this was the doctrine of apostolic poverty. Um, and and it actually became a great headache for the church. Uh, I'll explain a little why. So something called the medicant orders came after the Franciscans. So the Franciscans, we look back now and we kind of, um, we, we, we take the less messy view that the Franciscans were a healthy corrective against probably the opulence of the Benedictines and maybe maybe kind of some of the, the, um, the corruption or the laziness that had settled into some of the other orders, some of the older orders, uh, the Dominicans and, um, and, 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 and the Benedictines. And, uh, and, and actually what was happening was uh, the Franciscans were kind of obnoxious because they took all this stuff literally. And then <laughs> orders that, that, that followed them, the medicant orders, um, they, they were just all over the place in towns everywhere, Christopher, they were begging. Um, so you had um, just kind of, friars kind of in the town square um you'd try to avoid eye contact with them and yet um if you were a good christian you you felt like it was that this was the text right like these were the descendants of christ these were the descendants of the apostles like you had to they had they were just following biblical like their lord's mandate right their lord's model for ministry um and it finally had to be declared a heretical doctrine in 1323 that it didn't really um by Pope John the 22nd, that they didn't really settle the matter, right? The Medican orders really existed up until the, um, the Reformation. Um, and we see, if you read kind of late medieval liter literature, they're kind of taken for granted as, as just generally obnoxious. If you read um, Thomas Cranmer, the author of our first prayer book, and the Archbishop of Canterbury under Henry VIII, who presided over uh, the English Reformation and the foundation of the Church of England as we know it, and Anglicanism as we know it, um, uh, he, he wanted them gone. <laughs> um, he considered them illiterate and, and almost entirely useless for teaching. Because where would they go for theological training, Christopher, um, if they if they're have poverty, right? And this was one of yeah. the problems that they had is they started to create legal loopholes um, where uh, um, some of the beg some of the alms that they had begged for, or they would find patrons or donors who would kind of set aside slush funds for the education of these of these medicant friars. Um, and then it was, are, are they being hypocrites because they have actually these funds that they're using to go to seminary, to get theological training? 
Um, and it became a whole big thing and a whole big problem. Yeah, and, and, and it's <laughs> confusing, like, what, what the main thing is. Like, keep right. the, main, the main thing. The main thing isn't poverty. <laughs> the main thing is trusting the Lord. Right, so so here's here's what I'm saying. Well, I mean, saying. I'm sorry. The main thing isn't trusting the Lord. The main thing is the gospel. Right. Um, and, but, but like, the, the, the principle is to trust the Lord. So, so Not you to had a generation of men who seeing the accumulated wealth of the church and mm -hmm. being moved by passages like this, trying to put them in with some detail and with some care into practice, found it to be virtually impracticable. Mm. And, and like, if I haven't hammered this hard enough, like this, like, this is not a universal teaching this, like nowhere does Jesus right. say this is the, the model. It just, it just simply describes what he did yeah. at one time. These 12 people he sent yeah. out with specific instructions. So, so if you ever we don't, we don't see this anywhere right. else in, in the Bible. We don't see this in the book of Acts as far as, well, you see Acts two is sort of loosely linked. Uh, it loosely invoked sometimes when, when you try to see, um, any sort so, of accumulated so, assets of the church but nobody um, nobody had need um and when we look uh, when we compare acts 2 and and is it acts 3 that has ananias and sapphira right. like they're already they there under, you're right they, they were under no obligation assets. they were under no obligation to give the entirety of the sum what was wrong about what they did was the lie about it and appearing right. Right. to be more generous than they actually were but, Which but that is evident that they did not have to be impoverished. They yeah. could have assets, but yeah. it says it says um, out of like like Paul writes in in um, I believe it's Second Corinthians. God loves a cheerful giver. Yes, um, that like not someone who gives out of out of um, obligation. That like oh I have to do this because like uh, I'm I'm required to. It's 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 um what we saw in, in acts two of the sharing of resources was a voluntary thing like this, this like loving, like they, right. they were of one mind and, um, and, and of, of such unity that they made sure that no one was of need, but if they liquidated their assets, they would have none, you know, like <laughs> as had need, they would liquidate their assets and, and like sell their land so that they, that the, the hungry would be fed. Does, does that distinction uh, make sense? Oh, it makes total. It, may, it makes total sense. So, but but I, but I would just kind of make the point then quite simply, like that the Ananias and Sapphira passage is evidence that um, that assets were already being accumulated mm -hmm. and used prudently, um, right? In the way that the church always has, right? To su to support local churches, local gatherings, uh, to care for the widows, the sick, the elderly, um, etc. Et uh, I would also say you have. Um, in case anyone tries to invoke any of these passages in support uh, or, or to kind of beat the church over the head over any sort of accumulated assets, which if there was an era in which the church was wealthy, that era has long since passed, but whatever. Um, you have Christ's uh, very interesting and um, um, uh, beard scratching parable of uh, the unjust, is it the wicked manager, yeah. right? Um, where basically he says, let them, um, what, what is it? He summarizes by saying, let, this is bad. I should have ha had this prepared, but like, um, use, use cleverness in your, in your worldly dealings, um, for the ends of the kingdom. Right. Is it, it's something like that. Yeah. So this is where I'm going to get in trouble with someone who actually remembers <laughs> the, um, the parable of the unjust steward. I could vamp, or you could just pause the recording and, and, and prepare yourself. Well, I'm going to tell you what it is right now. Because All right. I, I have it right here. All right. For the sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Right. Like, so like unchristians are more shrewd uh, and Christians make kind of foolish decisions because we often become unworldly people because our focus is elsewhere. Right. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth, so that when it fails, that you may so that when it fails, they may receive you into the eternal dwellings. Meaning, like, um, be 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 shrewd, so that your um, be shrewd yeah. with um, in in your worldly dealings, while yet without getting its stink on you. So, and that was not our text for today, but. Um, basically, I'm saying that uh, probably the doctrine of absolute poverty or apostolic poverty is probably wrong. 
So there. Should we move on? Uh, do you have any other thoughts or observations, or shall we move on to our theology segment? Let's move on to our theology segment. For our theology segment today, um, we want to talk about the general thanksgiving. Uh, Christopher, on Sunday, which was the 4th of July, um, we were together, and, uh, and in, instead of going to church, uh, the, way, the way the day worked out, Christopher, we prayed as, as, as our two families together combined, we prayed uh, morning prayer, which was, which was lovely. Um, it was. I, it was. It was great. That's not something that that I, I get. I don't get to worship with you guys that often, um, and so that was that was great. Um, and uh, at the end of every in our Book of Common Prayer in the 2019 um, Book of Common Prayer, at the end of every morning and evening prayer service, almost at the end, there's something called the General Thanksgiving. Um, Christopher, and I thought with dealing with the general Thanksgiving, which is going to be our topic today for theology, I thought um, we, can, uh, we can read through it. I'll pray it. I'll read it. Uh, I'll give just a little bit of background because I don't know too much about it, so I'm not capable of giving a lot of background. And then I thought you could share your thoughts and we can um, just kind of marvel at this um, lovely gift that the church has inherited. Mm -hmm. So here's how the prayer goes. And um, I'm praying, Christopher, out of our 2019 Book of Common Prayer, which is pretty faithful to the 1662 prayer, but not um, quite the same. And so we can link to the 1662 prayer in the show notes. Almighty God, Father of all mercies, we, your unworthy servants, give you humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, preservation, and all the blessings of this life, but above all for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, for the means of grace, for the means of grace, and for the hope of glory. And we pray, give us such an awareness of your mercies that with truly thankful hearts we may show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days through Jesus Christ, our Lord, to whom with you and the Holy Spirit be honor and glory throughout all ages. Amen. This prayer, the general thanksgiving, was, uh, was written by um, a man by the name of Bishop Edward Reynolds. He was born in 1599. He died in 1676. And he was one of the only Puritans. No, he was the only Puritan to accept a bishopric um, at the restoration of the church. So um, uh, during the, uh, the English Civil War, um, uh, there was a, the king was killed, the Archbishop of Canterbury, William Laud was killed, uh, um, Charles I was executed. And there was sort of a, um, a Puritan oligarchy under Oliver Cromwell, um, and that ended. And in, in, uh, there was a restoration first of the monarchy under Charles II, um, Charles I's son. This is often called the Caroline Dynasty and uh, church divines, bishops and, and priests who, who wrote during this period of time are often called Caroline divines. Um, it was actually, though, a tumultuous and dangerous time for churchmen, actually a fruitful time, a lot of great poetry and literature and sermons were produced during that time, during that ferment. And uh, um, Edward Reynolds was, uh, was a Puritan who was convinced um, for the purposes of bring, weaving back together the threads of English Christianity that had been ripped apart of, of, of becoming a part of the, the established church. Um, and so, it, so that's a sign of kind of his, the peacefulness of his soul. And he was assigned to, um, he was assigned to write this. Uh, let's see here. And this, uh, this, was, uh, this was supposed to be a, um, 
this is supposed to be kind of um, lobbying, not, not a sop to, um, but an olive branch, Christopher, to Puritans to try to um, uh, gently nudge Puritans back into the Church of England. Um, and I don't think that was largely, that was largely successful. I think um, you get kind of Baptists and later, later Presbyterians and Methodists. Um, you have kind of a largely a dissatisfaction with the reestablished church. Um, but anyhow, uh, out of that, we get this. We get this lovely thing. And so if it sounds um, sort of Puritan, like, um, like, uh, like, like, the, like uh, the Hebrews in the desert um, praying to Yahweh with uh, kind of no mediating church, um, that, that it kind of has that Puritan sensibility, right? Um, which is, which is a, that's a very Calvinist, very reformed sensibility, right? They, they often use that model of the church as the Hebrews in the desert with the pillar of fire um, by night and the cloud of uh, the pillar of cloud by, by day. And it has, so, so, so maybe next time you pray that, think about that. It's, it, ha it, 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 it has the best of Puritan spirituality in that way. And so it was included in the restored prayer book in 1662 at the request of the Puritans. And also Christopher, notice its title, the general thanksgiving. Puritans felt that public liturgy um, lacked enough prayers of thanks. Mm. Um, that was a criticism of the prayer book the Puritans had um, that, that, that we should give thanks to God for, well, and we'll go, you're about to go mm. through Christopher, this, this litany, this lovely list of things for which the Christian heart should give thanks. Um, so that is its inheritance. Um, and it was a part of the 1662 uh, and the 28. And uh, Christopher, I don't believe, and you and, and listener, you can correct me if I'm wrong. I don't believe it was included in the daily office in the 1979 Book of Common Prayer in the Episcopal Church. And, and it has now been restored in the 2019 that updated a, that's, language. That's an interesting... We can, we can, we can yeah. effort that. Yeah. And so that is, Christopher, that is that is a very quick background. Um, Edward Reynolds, by the way, just a just a final, final note on him. Um, he during the English Civil War, which began in 1642, he sided with the Presbyterians. Uh, he was one of the Westminster divines at the Westminster Assembly um, that uh, adopted uh, the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Catechism, right? So in other words, I, I say this sort of tongue in cheek and sort of, I mean it, right? He was one of the bad guys in the Civil War. Um, uh, and, and yet um, he felt it was his duty as a good churchman to um, be a part of what came next, which was um, the reestablished Church of England. And so he became Bishop of Norwich, which to this day is a, it's a lovely cathedral and you can go in there and um, um, you can see his, see his, um, his tomb. And uh, let me see anything else about that I wanted to say about him. That's it. I toss it back to you, sir. Well, uh, one of the joys uh, of, of doing morning prayer on Sunday morning with, with you and your family was um, to hear your children um, say this prayer so familiarly. Mm. Uh, I think we posted on the Facebook group uh, a video of George reciting this. Did we not in the past as we were discussing um, a morning and evening prayer of the daily office and how... Um, your kids had be become accustomed, uh, so accustomed to doing this uh, on Sunday evenings uh, that, 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 that these words were ingrained in their heart. Yeah, but yeah. I re-recorded it with him. So oh, cool. you know what? I'm going to, at, uh, at the end of this, uh, this segment, Christopher, I'm going to insert it in. How about that? Very cool. <laughs> you know, because uh, we, we talk a lot about Lex Orandi, Lex Credendi, that, that our, the law of, of prayer is the law, I'm sorry, Lex orandi, lex credendi. The law of prayer is the law of belief. So it's like, um, we, what is our theology? It is, it is what we pray. It's what's in our prayer book. It's our worship. It's in our worship. Uh, and we believe that worship is formative. So every time our kids pray this, they learn about God. This is a didactic prayer. Um, that God is the giver of all good things and the father of all mercies. And what are his mercies? Creation, preservation, all the blessings of this life, especially the love shown in the redemption of the world through Jesus Christ. Hmm. And we're not only given that promise in the, in the sacraments, the means of grace. Uh, um, we right. have these means of grace um, for the journey. Um, yeah, that's, um, that's coded language that might not be yeah. clear to some of our listeners. So the, for the means of grace, 
the means of grace are baptism and Holy Communion, right? Yeah, yeah, and 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 which which are are um, reminders of our hope of glory, our physical, tangible reminders of what is to come. Uh, uh, and it teaches us that that though we are unworthy, uh, God's love, uh, He has adopted us. Um, and th that he preserves us in our lives. Um, and, and any, any uh, child who prays this prayer regularly um, learns a great deal about mm. God and who he is. Um, and we also, you know, not only pray these things, we pray for an awareness of God's mercies. As we acknowledge in this podcast that we are not uh, believers in the prosperity gospel, that, that what God wants is not for worldly riches and health, but in fact, for um, spiritual riches, um, for our treasure to be found in Jesus Christ. And so um, part of our maturity is, is becoming more aware of God's mercies in this life, in his provision. Um, and that, that uh, in maturity, we have thankful hearts. And with thankful hearts, we show God our praise, not only <laughs> with our lips yeah. on Sunday morning, but every moment of our lives, that this is not just something we confess um, with our lips, but um, our worship is is bodily and it's holistic. Um, that we want to be, um, uh, uh, we wanted to live in, we want to live in embodied faith. You know, so we want to be able to articulate what it is that we believe that God has done, but but we want to live in gratitude of that, to live lives of of not poverty, but we want to make a lot of money so we can save a lot of money so we can be generous. Um, we don't have to, we don't want to make a lot of money necessarily, but like, um, I was trying to paraphrase John Wesley, who said, make all the money you can save all the money you can give all the money you can, I I'm butchering that quote, but like the, the idea is that like making money isn't bad. Um, if you're generous with it, um, that, that poverty isn't something to aspire to, uh, unless it means like, uh, you know, if you're a rich person who does, who wants to die uh, without a penny because you're constantly giving it away. So, um, so this uh, teaches um, people, both young and old, like what it means to, to, to be a Christian, to, uh, of who God is, of, of what he has done for us and how we live um, to walk in holiness and righteousness all our days. I love this prayer, Kurt. Mm. So good. So Queen Elizabeth, um, her, this is not a secret, her preferred service is not uh, the service of Holy Communion, but Matins, which is just, that's, that's morning prayer, right? Um, and, uh, and, and actually her practice is to, uh, um, to take Holy Communion infrequently. And, uh, and, and I've, I've heard um, a chaplain of hers say that she has, a, has an extraordinarily high view of the Eucharist, which would put most clergy to shame. Um, and so on most Sundays, she, she attends morning prayer, um, not the later service of Holy Communion. And uh, so she prays this, um, this, this, this is, uh, oh, she prays this every Sunday morning, right? Uh, and uh, at her, I, I had, for whatever reason, it came up as a suggestion, whatever, YouTube's algorithm, the YouTube's algorithm knows what I like and what I want to watch. And uh, several weeks ago, like a month ago, one of the suggestions for me to watch was Queen Elizabeth's 80th birthday celebration at St. Paul's mm. Cathedral. I think that would have been like 2006, 2007, because I forget how old she, she actually is right now. And, uh, and, and in the service, um, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a book of, it wasn't a BCP service. Um, it was kind of a, a stitched together service of, of prayers and readings and, and hymns. Um, and she had done this in conjunction with the Bishop of London and, and the Archbishop of Canterbury. Um, but this prayer had been moved up to the beginning. Like it was in, it was, it was like after the opening hymn. Um, and so I was kind of like, huh, is this like a prayer near and dear to her heart? And, uh, and, and I, uh, in the last month then, when I pray this prayer, I think about, um, not only with our lips, but in our lives by giving up ourselves to your service and walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days. Now she was 80 back in the 2000s, right? <laughs> so she's in her, in her 90s now. Um, and her life has been nothing other than, it seems at least publicly, right? <laughs> 
um, giving up ourselves to your service and walking before you in holiness and righteousness. What is the monarch of England's job to silently serve, right? To not have opinions, to not mouth off, uh, to not go off script, but to do her job um, and to at least appear to do it gladly. Right. Kirk, serve, Kirk, that, that is one of my favorite uh, <laughs> parts of, of the crown is yes. when when the king shows Elizabeth like this giant <laughs> box of paper. Yes. Like this this is what it means to be king. And like you gotta do all this stuff every day. And she's just kind of like, whoa, wow. It's it's not like sitting on a throne and kind of um, I don't know, like uh, d- doing tented fingers and, and trying, <laughs> right. to, trying to think of all sorts of uh, evil plans. No, it's, 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 it's just kind of uh, uh, it's service. Yeah. Right. Service to the realm. Right. Not champagne and caviar and hobnobbing with um, kind of um, the, 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 the handsome delegation from France or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't mean to like have a crypto monarchist uh, observation here to end the podcast, but that has been sitting with me. Um Ever since. And that's just speculation, right? Why was that prayer moved up to the front? I'm, I'm guessing it's because it's a favorite. And I'm guessing it's because passages like that buoy her up um, and make her think, ah, yes, this this is my calling. And I, I'm being faithful by living into this. And Lord, give me strength to do this. So, um, but that is, it is nestled, right? Notice where this is, um, that we may truly, with truly thankful hearts, show forth your praise in our lives and giving up ourselves in your, to your service. Like that is in the latter half, right? That comes after um, line after line after line of thanksgiving, right? So give us strength in light of all these blessings, Lord. Give us strength to do that which you have called us to do. So I love that. Any final observations, Christopher? No, I think I think it's an adequate uh, look at the great thing, uh, great Thanksgiving at the general Thanksgiving. I I I wrote the great Thanksgiving <laughs> first too, and that that's funny. That's funny that you said that. Well, and and for those unfamiliar, the, the great <laughs> Thanksgiving is is uh, a term generally used for part of the, the the Eucharistic prayer. Yes. Speaking of prayer, shall we pray? Let's. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. Let us pray. Let your merciful ears, O Lord, be open to the prayers of your humble servants, and that we may receive what we ask. Teach us by your Holy Spirit to ask only those things that are pleasing to you. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord, who with you and the same spirit lives and reigns forever and ever. Amen. Amen. O God and Father of all, whom the whole heavens adore, the whole earth also worship you all nations obey you all tongues confess and bless you and men and women and children everywhere love you and serve you in peace through jesus christ our lord amen amen the grace of our lord jesus christ and the love of god and the fellowship of the holy spirit be with us all evermore amen amen next week kirk next week